Hey, Jake, what's the difference between us and a camel? Well, I mean, a camel can work all week without drinking. Yep, and we can drink all week without working. Hello, and welcome to Pints and Princesses. Pints and Princesses is sponsored by HammerTech. That's right. HammerTech builds custom software like websites and mobile apps and provides managed IT support for businesses. HammerTech provides customers with innovative technology to enable their success. They've even built a mobile app featured on national cable news. To find out how HammerTech can be your technology solutions provider, visit HammerTech.com or email them at info at HammerTech.com. And remember, there's no me in HammerTech. It's H-A-M-M-R-T-E-C-H dot com. That's H-A-M-M-R-T-E-C-H dot com. Hello, and welcome back to Pints and Princesses. I'm Andrew. And I'm Jake. And today we're talking about one of my favorite uh, movies growing up, Aladdin. Jake, would you tell us a little bit about the history of the story of Aladdin and the folktale? Sure. So um, Aladdin is a little bit of a divergence from some of the past ones we've been looking at. Uh, it is of middle... Well, okay. So in general, people think of it as one of the tales from A Thousand and One Nights, which is like this compilation of tales uh, that came from the Middle East, compiled over hundreds of years. Um but it turns out uh, that actually Aladdin is not one of those tales, even though most people think of it as one. Uh, this is a tale that was um, added, collected by some uh, Europeans, a French yeah. named... Antoine Galland. Thank you. Antoine Galland. Uh, you know, there's, there's some stories that he may have heard it from, mm -hmm. you know, somebody passing through or whatever, but um, definitely not a part of the Thousand and One Nights when you look at old records of that. Yes, and he claimed that uh, he added these texts as he was translating One Thousand and One Nights and, uh, because he found other texts with historical background. However, farther research has really showed that these documents were just forgeries, like they didn't exist. So the origins of Aladdin aren't really known. Uh, they just kind of showed up in the 18th century when Europeans translated 1001 Nights. Other popular stories, like, the, in my opinion, the most popular stories mm -hmm. from 1001 Nights are also editions in the 18th century by Europeans. These include Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves and the Seven Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor, which are... Like my favorite ones, so definitely. I don't know. Maybe it just goes to show that people of European descent like stories written by Europeans. Fair enough. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the uh, the story, I'd say the general arc. There's a lot of similarity with what we're gonna see uh, transpire in the Disney movie. Um, there is a young ragamuffin or you know sort of vagabond, Aladdin. Yeah, he's a, he is a street urchin. He is a street urchin, but he's not an orphan. He's not. He, yeah, yeah, he has a, a mom and a dad. Dad dies <laughs> early. Mm -hmm. uh, supposedly because he was heartbroken over his, his son's laziness, because he would just go hang out in the street all day. Yeah, not a, not a uh, virtuous portrayal of Aladdin in the fairy tale. Um, he, certainly not in the beginning. Certainly not in the beginning. Yeah, that's fair. Right. At the beginning, he's, he's sort of a layabout, and he uh, you know, maybe experiences some growth during the story. He, gets in, he encounters a magician. An African magician. Yes, a moor. Hmm. Um, uh, also, very key difference between the, the folktale and the movie is the setting is, uh, is in China. And it's, it's very clearly stated uh, that it's China, and there's, you know, they say Chinese, uh, and, and really, like, reference China quite often. But nothing else about the setting makes you think China. Right. Like there's a sultan. The, they use the word China, but nothing is <laughs> right. culturally Chinese. Exactly. Uh, it's all what, you know, we would imagine as Middle Eastern, right? Right. Clear They're, Islamic influence, mm -hmm. the hierarchical structures, the traditions that people have, the language that they use mm -hmm. is all typical of, you know, like the Middle Eastern setting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this, this African magician comes from a faraway place, from <laughs> Africa. Mm -hmm. And um, and he he pretends to be uh, Aladdin's father's brother, so his uncle. And he he says, 
I forget what he says, but he, he takes Aladdin to a cave that only Aladdin can enter. Yeah, kind of slowly, he gains yeah. his trust and then reveals his true intent, which for some reason he knows that Aladdin is the only person who can enter this cave where there's a very special lamp, which, yeah, I mean, that's kind of dead on. Right, so that yeah. that is a big part of the movie, right? In the movie, uh, he's called the Diamond in the Rough. Right. I don't remember this phrase from the book. Mm-mm. It seems to be a an invention for the movie. Um, why don't we talk about that phrase for a, a minute? Because yeah. growing up, it always seemed like a weird syntax assemblage. Oh, Diamond in the Rough? Yeah. Well, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a real phrase that... Um, an uncut diamond is referred to as a diamond in the rough. Oh. Man, uh, what? there's a movie from the 80s. Is it called Diamond in the Rough? Let's see, I have this device in front of me. Dude, this is a, it's a great flick. It's like, uh, you know, it's like this, this wild man living out in the jungle. Apparently there's a, a movie called Diamond in the Rough uh, from 2022 on oh. IMDb. That's, no, no, no. That's, I'm thinking that's of, this year. Uh, for I'm thinking people of Jewel of the Nile. Yeah, Jewel okay. of the Nile is what I'm thinking of. Not quite the same. Yeah. Great flick, though. Okay. So I guess I don't yeah. have the geology background to know that an uncut diamond is a diamond in the rough. Yeah, so that's the mm-hmm. idea is that, you know, it's um, the way that you would say find it in a mm-hmm. diamond mine or something like that. Obviously, it's not faceted uh, or anything like that. You know, See, that so I was thinking, like, it would. It's a diamond that you happen to, to find in a place you didn't expect is the way that mm. that I was thinking of diamond in the rough. But an uncut diamond or, you know, like something that could be of value but isn't really yet because it needs some work. Right. It need- I mean, that describes Aladdin very well. <laughs> yes, get it indeed. now. <laughs> Man, I learn things on this podcast. It's so great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's the diamond in the rough, and they're going to the Cave of Wonders. Um the Cave of Wonders name is also something from the movie. Correct. Yeah, that's that's added by the movie. Um, in the in the fairy tale, the magician gives Aladdin a ring. Yes, this that, is very interesting to me. Yeah, because the the ring has a genie in it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it appears to be a, a much lesser genie, not nearly as powerful as the genie of the lamp. Um, but Aladdin goes into the cave. He gets right. stuck in there. Right. The, th- the thing we expect, yeah. kind of what we see in the movie is similar here, where Aladdin is in the cave, he gets the lamp, and then as he's trying to come out, he like can't make it over the last step. And so the magician says, well, just give me the lamp, and then I'll help you out. And Aladdin's like, no, nah, I'd rather be helped out first, thanks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the magician, in that, I think in the story, he just gets mad, right, and slams the door shut. He basically says, like, well, fine then, stay in there and, you know. Go ahead and starve. <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead and starve. Yeah, yeah. and now, then that's when the ring comes in handy. It's well, yeah. So Aladdin kneels down to pray, rubs his hands together, and rubs the ring, and a genie pops out. Much to Aladdin's surprise, and uh, and grants him wishes. Now, in the folk tale, there is no limit on the wishes from either genie. Just, right. Hey. Uh, I am your slave, and like that, that term is used in, in these tales a lot. There's a big theme of slavery, and uh, he gives Aladdin wishes. So Aladdin wishes to get out of the cave, and he goes home. And I believe it's his mom that uh, that rubs the lamp to clean it up, hmm. and and makes the genie come out. And they they wish for something to eat, and so the genie presents a a feast uh, on all these silver platters and they eat on that for several days and then they need more food and so Aladdin goes and he starts selling the uh, the silver uh, platters uh, huh. for money to then buy food and there's a lot of uh, what we would today consider um, inappropriate cultural innuendos uh, in these act uh, these actions and these interactions with uh, with merchants and uh, people from different cultural backgrounds. Well, like he's taking advantage of them, or? Uh, <clears throat> well, I'll just call it, tell it what it is. So he encounters a Jew, uh, and the Jew rips him off. Oh, I see. Yeah. He's getting taken advantage of. Because mm-hmm. he, yeah, he doesn't know any better, right? He's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's a plate. I'd like to sell it. 
and it's like pure silver, and the guy takes advantage of them. Gotcha. And so it, a lot of cultural, you know, and, and ethnic stereotypes uh, are present in this. You know, go figure. A European author uh, is racist. Scums. Scums. <laughs> So uh, he does that um, several times and, and sells all this stuff. And eventually a, uh, another silver merchant like, kind of sees what's going on, and he, and he offers Aladdin a better deal. He's like, hey, look, you come sell to me, and I'll make sure you're taken care of. Then he, Aladdin sees Princess Vadrublador uh, going to a, a public bath. And he's like, ooh, now there's a pretty lady. And so he... Uh, he then has the genie make him rich so that he can marry the uh, princess. But he sends his mother to the sultan, and a giant like gives him gifts and, and all sorts of riches and stuff to, to prove his worth. And apparently that's all it takes. You bribe the king, and he'll sell his daughter to you. Uh, there is a bit of duplicity that happens. Um, the, the grand vizier um, once... Princess Baldrublador to marry his son, and uh, and so he he tricks uh, or he, he convinces the Sultan to to renege and uh, and they they get married, but then Aladdin once he realizes he's been double crossed uses the genie to uh, to prevent the marriage from being consummated. So on the wedding night, he the genie goes and takes the princess and puts her like somewhere else. And uh, then huh. puts her back in the morning. And he does this night after night after night until they just give up. And like, hey, we got to end all this marriage. It's not working. Huh. Well, that's one tactic, <laughs> I guess. You know, I never thought of that. Yeah. And uh, so then they get married, uh, Aladdin and Princess Baldrublador. And then the African magician kind of comes back from Africa. And he's like, whoa. I think this guy's got the lamp. Right. So then he disguises himself as a, I don't know, a lunatic on the street, and he, he walks down the street in front of Aladdin's palace, which had the genie build for him, and, and he's yelling, old, old, uh, new lamps for old, new lamps for old. And Aladdin happens to be away at this time, and his wife uh, hears this. She's like, oh, Aladdin's got an old lamp. Let me do something nice and get him a new one. And somehow she doesn't know that it's... She doesn't know anything, doesn't about, know anything about the genie. No. Yeah. And, and so then the African magician... Gets the uh, the lamp. He's now master of the genie, and he takes the princess and the palace to Africa. And uh, the Sultan is very very upset by this, and he blames Aladdin for it. Aladdin's like, "Dude, I don't know anything about this. I'm more upset than you." But um, he gives Aladdin like 14 days or something to uh, to bring the princess back. And so Aladdin, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he, he's trying everything. And eventually he kneels down to pray again. Remembers his reign. Well, no. He kneels to pray, and rubbing his hands together as he prays, the genie from the ring comes out because oh. he'd forgotten about it. Huh. So that genie nice. then takes him to uh, Morocco, I think, uh, and in Africa. And that's where uh, he finds uh, the African magician, uh, his wife, and his palace. And they, uh, let's see. Oh, the Aladdin and the princess plot to kill the magician. I think, if I remember right, they did it by poison. And then the genie of the lamp takes them back to China. Nice. So There you go. Not that far off. No. You know, as far as major arc. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, the princess of today's episode. Why don't we talk a little bit about... The first pint. So, um, <clears throat> turns out, Middle Eastern culture treats alcohol a little bit differently from other folks. But I did do some research, and um, I was reading about beers from Egypt, because, you know, it's kind of like in the right general zone. There's a desert there, too. Yeah, there's a desert. You know, like, I don't know. In the movie, there's a guy who's working on the Sphinx, just saying. I mean, they also go to China. You know, that's an interesting And they go point. to Greece. Yeah. I mean, in a whole new world, they really do see the world. Yeah, that's true. Or at least the Vegas Strip. Yeah, right. 
Maybe that's what it was. Yeah. Anyways, so in Egypt, the most popular uh, beer is called Stella, which is not sold in stores around here. But there's another beer called Stella Artois. Is it Artois or Artois? Artois. I like to call it Artois. I think American. it's from uh, Belgium, maybe. Hmm. But anyway, since it's got the same kind of general name, thought we'd go ahead and treat it as an equivalent. <clears throat> it's a near substitute. Mm-hmm. Ah, beautiful. Mo foam. So, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. How do you describe Stella? Well, it's golden. Um, yes. Nice foam head. Beautiful, crisp, clear. This is regular old beer. Scumps. Scumps. It's quite sweet, though. It is on the sweet side. Although lots of the mainstream beers, I think, these days are sweet. You know, I feel like Bud Light, Coors Light. Yeah. Yeah, maybe my palate has changed a bit, especially a move more towards craft beers, more hops. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know, so it's, it's skewed more towards the bitter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the the uh, mainstream beers that are uh, more of a quantity play. Are, yeah, they come uh, across as a bit sweeter. Hmm. And I think that suits, you know, most people's palate better anyways, you know. The average person isn't that interested in a lot of bitter in their beer, you know, really. I don't know. Craft beers are really popular these days. With a certain crowd. You know, it's really popular. White Claw. You know what it tastes like? Kool-Aid. Hmm. I don't know that I've ever had that. Really? Yeah. You're not even familiar with White Claw? Not really. Perhaps we'll need it on a future episode. No, I hate it. It's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Strike that. (laughs) But that's just my opinion. You know, I mean, uh, anybody who likes White Claw, you know, more power to you. Drink what you like. Probably you would think half the things I drink are disgusting. Um, But that's the way I feel about it. Hmm. You know, as my uh, brother-in-law John said, uh, from time to time, he's drunk them at parties where there was Mm -hmm. nothing else to drink. And he said, you know, this is not better than nothing. Wow. (laughs) Which... You know, I kind of agree with that. Scumps. Scumps. All right. Let's so, talk about a Disney movie. All right. Woo! So, Aladdin was released in 1992, and I believe it's the third movie in the Disney Renaissance. Mm. The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. Yep. Uh, as a young boy, I, I really liked this movie because it uh, at least had a male protagonist, right? It, it seemed to be, you know, a movie for boys. It is in the princess franchise, though. But, you know, the, the title character was a boy, and there were sword fights and magic, and yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it. Um, as an adult watching it, I did not like it as much as Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast is, is my favorite that we've done so far. It's a high bar. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast has a lot of depth for an adult compared mm-hmm. to Aladdin. Is, it's a good flick. But yeah, it doesn't the, have a lot of... Uh... Most of the the appeal for adults, I think, is wrapped up in the genie, right? He has a lot of allusions to more mature <laughs> humor. Yeah, pop culture. And, and it goes really fast. And, you, you know, like it, his songs are really fast and cover a bunch of stuff. And you're kind of bouncing around as a kid. I was kind of like, you know... Yeah, you're just watching it, the goofiness go right. on and you just let it wash over you. Yeah, but as an mm-hmm. adult, you know you, you know a Rodney Dangerfield reference when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, a lot Can't of them were really being beaten by a rug, <laughs> right? <laughs> but but they were all really topical too. So you know, yeah. will our kids ever get that reference? Yeah, yeah, it's a fair point. Probably not. So um, yeah, released on November eleventh, nineteen ninety two. It earned really Armistice Day. There you go. That's right, Veterans Day. Yeah. Um, it earned over five hundred and four million dollars worldwide in box office revenue. And uh, upon release, it became the first animated feature film to reach the half-billion-dollar mark Hmm. and the highest-grossing animated movie of all time until surpassed by The Lion King in 1994. Mm. And uh, we plan to have The Lion King be our bridge between the Princess series and the Pixar series. Mm. So, The others. (laughs) The others, yes. (laughs) Um... It was released on home video and VHS, uh, and they, those sales also set a record, grossed about $500 million just in the U.S. Yeah. I certainly had it on home video. Yeah, there's no doubt mm-hmm. that it was a very common white squishy box for somebody to have in their house. <laughs> That's true. Uh, it had two uh, direct-to-video sequels, The Return of Jafar, 
uh, and Aladdin and the King of Thieves. So these came out in 1994 and 1996. There was also an animated television series and a Broadway adaptation and then uh, very recently a live action film. The, uh, so the head of Disney Animation Studios, uh, Katzenberg, he, he thought the original script didn't really engage and uh, on a day that the staff called Black Friday, he demanded the entire story be rewritten without rescheduling the film's uh, November of 1992 release date. And uh, so that was about 18 months away from the time when he That would be said, a really rough demand. Yeah. Um, among the changes that uh, Katzenberg requested from uh, the directors, he, he said, don't be dependent on Ashman's original vision. Ashman was a... Uh, a very famous composer and songwriter who wrote um, a lot of things from The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin was his pet project. He actually had stepped away from Aladdin to help out on Beauty and the Beast because it was so far behind. Hmm. And uh, and he died just after Beauty and the Beast uh, was released, and he and wasn't around to finish this one, but this one was his pet project, Aladdin. But they said, hey, don't, don't be dependent on his vision. Um... You know, make it good, not his. And then they uh, they also wanted the removal of Aladdin's mother, uh, uh, saying, saying, quote, 86 the mother, the mom's a zero. What does that mean? Well, maybe, maybe the character that they, they, hmm. they wrote was bad. I don't know. Um, so then uh, Aladdin was initially going to be a, as young as 13 and was originally made to resemble uh, actor Michael J. Fox. Yeah. Which uh, a lot of the criticism of the movie uh, is that Aladdin and Jasmine are very anglicized in their appearance and voices, where a lot of the mm. other characters that are given more um, Middle Eastern attributes and voices are uh, aren't very flattering. Uh, so they're uh, you know they're given big hooked noses and they look kind of gruff and villainy. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's fair criticism because Aladdin, yeah, doesn't look that different from somebody you would see every day here in the West. Hmm. Um, so during production, it was decided that uh, that design was too boyish and wasn't appealing enough. So they, they kind of rewrote Aladdin's personality to be a little rougher, like a young Harrison Ford, which I can kind of see. Right? Yeah. There's a there's a bit of Han Solo in Aladdin. Yeah. A scoundrel, if you yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> You're a scoundrel. <laughs> like that. You don't have enough scoundrels in your life. <laughs> Who's scruffy looking? <laughs> I, I guess we're both a little scruffy looking. Many people would say more than a little. Hmm. The other day in a hallway, <laughs> literally, this lady came out of a room and said, Wow, that's a big beard. <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of tried to apologize for a few minutes. She's like, I mean, uh... <clears throat> But I mean, yeah. You know, like, bigger than other people's. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, yeah, I'm not offended. I mean, what you said is probably objectively true, you know. <laughs> Computer animation was used for some elements of the film, uh, such as the tiger entrance of the Cave of Wonders, mm. and the scene where Aladdin tries to escape from the collapsing cave. And the carpet. I think the carpet is totally CG. Uh, I, did not, I did not read that. Um, actually, I, see, what did I read about the carpet? I've got it handy. I don't say that based on any knowledge, except like when I watch the thing move, mm -hmm. like they uh, seems like the the pattern on it moves in a way that makes me think CG. Let's see. Um, okay, so the animator Randy Cartwright uh, described working on the magic carpet as challenging, since it is only a rectangle shape that expresses itself through pantomime mm. quote it's sort of like acting by er by origami uh, Cartwright kept folding a piece of cloth while animating to see how to position the carpet after carpet animation was done the carpet surface design was applied digitally oh that's what I was noticing. yeah that is what I saw like the mm -hmm. like the you know that pattern that's on the outside of it like it it goes around corners in ways that are just too weird but yeah maybe the outline yeah. and the tassels could be hand animated they just gave mm -hmm. it the frame yeah. Um, I also noticed that there's some 
like weirdness in the animation inside the Cave of Wonders. Mm-hmm. Like when Aladdin walks through the the uh, treasure room, um, like there's this distortion around his legs, mm-hmm. and so that's probably the the background digitally animated. Excuse me, and an Aladdin hand drawn on top of it. Mm-hmm. So you know, so, uh, computer animation was still young, right? We we've talked about it a couple times. You know, uh, we had the kind of the digital coloring and the Little Mermaid. We had the the CGI ballroom scene in um, in Beauty and the Beast, right? Mm-hmm. So here we see a little bit more of it in Aladdin. Of course, this isn't that far removed from Beauty and the Beast. It's what right. one year later. Yeah. So, um, but we're we're entering that era. Yep, it's only going to go further. My final note on the production of Aladdin is Robin Williams, um, they they wrote the genie for him. Huh. Uh, they, um, and they wanted to, uh, they approached him about uh, playing the genie, and he originally refused. So then they took um, audio of his stand-up routines, and they animated the genie performing them, and... Uh, Robin loved it. He laughed so hard, and he, he finally agreed to, to play the genie. And this started a trend of hiring celebrities uh, as voice actors instead of specifically trained voice actors. Mm-hmm. He, um, although th- this uh, this partnership with Robin Williams and Disney did not really end very well, um, he he voiced the genie for. Uh, uh, so he was doing a lot of movies at the time. Uh, he had two in production. He just, you know, he'd uh, recently done um, what Good Morning Vietnam, and and so he he had agreed to to voice the genie for a what they call a SAG scale pay of about seventy five thousand dollars instead of his asking fee <clears throat> of eight million, on the condition that his name and image not be used for marketing. And his, you know, supporting character not take up more than 25% space on any advertising artwork. Because he had another film, Toys, scheduled for release one month after Aladdin's debut. Mm. Now, I'm not familiar with this movie Toys at all. Um, So, apparently it wasn't nearly as big as Aladdin. Yeah. My guess would be that, uh, you know, the people making Toys had already planned on using his... Yeah fame as kind of the draw for it and they didn't want to get undercut by the fact that there's a different Robin Williams movie releasing, you know, a little bit earlier that would sort of uh yeah. you know tr- take away from that. But uh Disney didn't didn't really uh, you know follow the terms of this agreement. They pushed things all the way up to the line and, and kind of over in a couple spots and and Robin Williams really w- was upset about this uh, so much so that there's quite a rift like he didn't show up for um return of jafar genie was voiced by somebody else in that one uh he wasn't in the animated series as the genie uh, um the if you listen to the the soundtrack on uh, amazon music and probably many other places the genie songs aren't on the soundtrack yeah we were discussing that that you know i have a disc that we bought some years ago, and it's got all the songs on it. But yeah, lots of the streaming platforms. Anything that's got the genie's voice in it just seems to be left out. Mm-hmm. Now, ultimately, Disney and Genie, eh, Disney and Genie, Disney and Robin Williams uh, did make up um, the. So, Jeffrey Katzenberg, the head of Animation Studio, uh, his successor, Joe Roth, uh, issued a, a public apology and orchestrated, a, you know, kind of a. Uh, olive branch to robin williams and so uh he ultimately did return for the second sequel aladdin and the king of thieves that came out in 1996 but uh yeah there's seems like there's some hurt feelings and probably for good reason i like your phrase he orchestrated an olive branch i mean that i'm imagining him <laughs> with an olive branch like as a conductor so i mean to quote my source the Wikipedia article. Uh, it says Roth organized a public apology to Williams. Gotcha. So I am. I like your phrase yeah. better. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's very alliterative. Orchestrated an olive branch. There is some alliteration. <laughs> yes. Okay, I, I do have one final, final thought on the uh, the production. 
Yes. And that's, for the first time uh, that I can remember in our, our Princess series here, the voice actors playing the mm. characters are not the same ones singing the songs. They and have different, uh, different talent doing the singing. You mentioned that to me, and today, when I was pulling together the little outline that we use, I was paying attention. You can really tell with Aladdin. Absolutely. Like, once you're listening to it, it's like, yeah, that ain't the same guy. Jasmine, I had a harder time. You know, like, listening to Jasmine sing A Whole New World. Her voice is, is closer. It's pretty darn close. But now, Aladdin? Aladdin's like, got yeah. the two songs, right? He's got um, one, jump. one jump in the beginning. That's the yeah. first thing you hear. Like, you don't hear him talk before that song. So I didn't notice it there. But then A Whole New World, that guy sounds nothing like Aladdin. You've yeah. been listening to Aladdin for an hour at this point, and then somebody else is singing A Whole New World. You're like, <laughs> okay, you, um, maybe that's what he sounds like in his head. I don't know. Yeah. He put on the falsetto, you know, to <laughs> sing to the lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Another final, final, final thought on the production. Uh, Abu. <laughs> I love this. Abu had a voice actor. Um Let's well, see. yeah, dude. He's a very expressive, you know, monkey. And where is it? The... Yes. Uh, so Frank Welker uh, was a boo, and he... Uh, He's a professional he, he, monkey. He used the falsetto voice. That's what made me think of it. Oh, I see. Yeah. He also voices Raja. You know, I was about to say that, like, w- there was a scene with Raja where I was like, dude, that's like... that. Yeah, somebody mm. did that. <laughs> and the Cave of Wonders. Oh, man. See, now that guy's diverse. That guy's got a portfolio. So, That's cool. why don't we jump into the actual sequence of events here? Yeah, let's get started. <clears throat> so, opening is uh, this kind of big pan-in view, and it's this opening song. Well, sorry, let's back up just a second. Um... Because watching this on Disney Plus, mm. before the movie starts, there's a disclaimer about uh, about this movie being harmful to cultures, and it was it was wrong then, and it's wrong now. And instead of changing the content, we want to spark conversations, yeah, or something, something like, like that. that, yeah. And so, yeah. ever since I saw that, I've been trying to think, like, okay, what is it that they're pointing to? Because they don't specify in this disclaimer. What about this movie was was problematic. And I could think of, like, many things. But is it a combination of things, or is it a specific thing that's that's being canceled today? You know, I don't know. I There's a piece of me that wants to say that, uh, you know, you need, you need to accept that, like, we're making a cartoon, so, like, everybody's going to be caricatured. Mm-hmm. And I, my, my thinking is that at least part of it is that uh, you got these caricatured, you know, stereotypes? There's definitely caricature stereotypes. Not not nearly to the place it was in in the original folk tale, but um, but yeah, there are stereotypes. There are caricature de- caricature depictions of uh, of the characters, right? Yeah, but it's a cartoon. <clears throat> but it's a cartoon. There's also themes of slavery. Yeah, so so I think that that's I think that the idea of being imprisoned is like the main theme of the story. I would agree with that. Um, there's also the you know an occurrence of forced marriage of an underage girl. Well, there it doesn't happen. I mean, it do, I think, it doesn't I think ha- it's worth pointing out. There's discussion right. about mm-hmm. you know like this sort of cultural norm. It it doesn't happen, be, but she still gets married. She's not forced to do it, but. But the Sultan doesn't have to force her now. Right. So. And I mean, 16 is legal, right? I mean, like. Is it? I with don't... parental consent in Tennessee. Okay. I think a 16-year-old could get married. Yeah. Well, not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> this parent does not yeah, give well, consent. parental consent. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, like it's, um, you know, it's, it's not like she's 12, I guess is what I'm saying. All right. So this is one thing that they changed from the original script. It, it was 16. Um, like, but it, but they changed it to just say by your next birthday and and leave out an oh, age. Oh, so, yeah, that's true. So, you know, she's not necessarily sixteen. She could be eighteen. She yeah. could be nineteen. She, I mean, right? She could be twenty-one. Who knows? Right. 
So it's not specified, but there's a strong yeah, implication. Kind of yeah. It seems it seems like the kind of age that she's acting, I might say. Yeah. But definitely I mean, like, definitely but a rebellious age. But that's the culture. I mean, and I think that there's still some of that culture left alive today. I mean, yes, and, and not it's not just in the Middle East, right? Like there's a lot of this. So I mean, I recently watched a Netflix show that had a lot of arranged underage marriages based on things that happened in the 21st century in the United States. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was not cool at all. Well, I mean, it's not culturally acceptable now, but, like, to, to, make, to make too much of it, I think, is not that helpful. You know what I mean? Like, you just have to acknowledge that that's the way things were at a different time, right? Yeah. Like, so, so back to this, uh, this topic of the disclaimer. You know, there's kind of lots of different things that I've thought about. Like, hey, you know, there are some problems with themes in this movie. Um, does it warrant a disclaimer in the beginning? Does it warrant saying this movie was wrong to do? Uh, I, I don't know, but it was an interesting thing to think about. Well, then their disclaimer succeeded. Because it sparked a conversation right here. Sure did. You know? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. To me, I, I think that um, there's a piece of that that maybe Disney's given themselves too much credit for how much influence they have. I mean, like, I saw this as a kid. Did it make me think that getting married at the age of 16 was normal? Or that... No. That Middle Eastern people were comical? Yeah, I mean, like, like, no. It's like a cartoon. Or that slavery was okay? No, right? It's a cartoon, right? Like, I also don't think that gummy bears actually bounce around when they drink juice. You know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know. To me, it just, <laughs> it just seems absurd to me how it projects a very low expectation of their viewership to feel like they're obligated to tell you, you know, that kind of thing. Let me ask you this, and then we'll move on. Would you prefer a disclaimer or a 1984 scenario where they actually start changing the content? Well, I prefer the disclaimer to the change of the content 125%. Because mm-hmm. I mean, there has been times that they've changed content. Han shot first. Han shot first. Absolutely. <laughs> like, beyond a shadow of a doubt, always happened. And it's, and it's good. He was the protagonist, right? He changed. Yeah, right. Exactly. I actually, <laughs> I actually did a public speaking thing. I can't remember what, what I was in. I was, but we were, we were being, you know, it was like a public speaking. And I did a whole, like, my persuasive speech was about how destructive this is to Han Solo's character. And, and this is, yeah, it's trying to whitewash things. You know what I mean? It's, it's trying to pretend mm-hmm. like they're, like problems never existed, which is a surefire way to ensure that they come back. <laughs> I mean, like, it's the nut. Yeah, if you, if you don't remember the past, then you can't possibly use it to inform the future. Right. I mean, the... It's a cliche, but I think it's true. If we don't learn history, we are destined to repeat it. Yeah, it's it's a cliche because, I mean, obviously it, it happens in people's <clears throat> real lives <clears throat> within the 60 years they spend on the earth. They fail to learn from their past, and they repeat it. You can watch it play out. You don't have to have a <clears throat> millennium worth of history to see that happen. So, yeah, so to me, it, if, if they feel like they need to put that disclaimer up there, like, I don't care. I know that the kids aren't reading it. Right, right. But you, How many times right. did the FBI warning flash in front of my eyes? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the only three letters I remember from that FBI warning. FBI. FBI. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> exactly anything right. else on it. Like I don't know anything about you know Interpol or what. <laughs> like who cares? Would you please start this movie? I'm ready to watch. You know, yeah, sword fighting Arabs mm-hmm. chasing this kid with a loaf of bread. Right. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, let's move into that. Boom. Yeah, so it's like this big wide scene, right? Um, it's like this uh, like flyover of the desert. You got this camel walking through, and you've got this merchant, and you're hearing this song, Arabian Nights. Which, when I was a kid, this is my this is my favorite song from the movie by far. Yeah, it's different than our uh, our traditional storybook opening. Yes, of course, uh, the Little Mermaid had an opening song, right? Much like this. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it moves into um, I think kind of like uh, a good alternative trope, which is like the storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's a narrator in the movie, and we kind of get introduced to him. Although it really bugs me, he's only in the beginning. 
He doesn't tell any of the story throughout the story, and it never comes back to him at the end. That's true. It doesn't close up with It's him. like they forgot. It's like, oh, eh, you know, Jenny's yeah, going on vacation. Dude, It'll they're already good. at an hour 29. <laughs> like, they ain't got time to put his scene in. They probably had it written, and they're just like, nah, cut it. Doesn't matter. So an interesting thing for me. What, do they pay the theaters by the second of real? Dude, 90 minutes is a standard for, at least at this time. I mean, I got it, but. 90 minutes. So you gotta but cut why? something, but but why? why because look more? at the monstrosity we live in now, where they're making two hour and forty five minute movies. I'll tell you why? Nobody wants to sit through that because it's all you could fit on a VHS tape. Well, remember, remember those two tape apps? You know what? You know what movie makers need a forcing function to make them quit talking. Oh, you mean like podcasters? <laughs> exactly. Have we spent forty <laughs> minutes talking in this? This exactly. episode, before we got to the movie. <laughs> you can stop talking and get to the point. But if you, right? Yeah. Ain't no fee on Google to put in a three-hour podcast instead of two. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big fan of the 90-minute movie, right? Like, with my kids, you break two hours and, like, they're done. It doesn't matter how good the movie is. Like, they're done. 90 minutes is this perfect sweet zone. You stop it at about 50 minutes, everybody goes to the bathroom, gets resituated, turn it back on, and at the end, everybody's done, nobody's gone crazy. Like, 90 minutes is a beautiful length for a movie. It used to be the gold standard. I think it still is the gold standard, but yeah. Well, it's quite obvious we don't live in the days of the gold standard anymore. Uh, don't start talking about fiat currency, okay? That's all <laughs> I'm going to say. You can't get political. <laughs> Got it. But is it political or is it just truth? We're not going there. Last time we indulged too many tangents. So okay. here's what I want to say about this narrator is that I thought as a kid and for a long time as an adult that it was Robin Williams. Like his shtick. It is. No, dude, it's not. It's not Robin. Dude, I checked the credits. It's not his name. Because he's, he's in the stuff that, when you go to Amazon Music, mm-hmm. his music is there. Like, his piece mm-hmm. of Arabian Nights is there. But the Robin Williams stuff is missing. It's a different dude. Then Wikipedia is wrong, because Wikipedia says, Williams also voices the peddler who appears at the beginning of the film. The peddler's singing voice was provided by Bruce Adler. Well, now maybe that's what I saw in the credits. Maybe I mistook his... Because, I mean, that's what yeah. I thought. Like, you listen to that guy oh, talk. It's totally like, Williams. This is Robin Williams. Yeah. Dead on. But then, yeah, then I went to look. Well, so, but he's included. If you go to the Amazon Music thing, like, Arabian Nights is there. Right, because it's not Robin Williams singing. But his shtick at the end is there, I think. Huh. I'll have to check that. That's we, interesting. we will fact check, Jake. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah, because, I, I mean, yeah, I assumed it was Robin Williams, and I went looking one time, decided, and convinced myself that it actually wasn't Robin Williams. It was somebody but doing it, a really good it imitation. It really does sound like him. Yeah, it sounds just like him. It's an imita- somebody doing an imitation of Robin Williams doing an imitation. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and I mean, like, the jokes are so exactly Robin yeah. Williams. Right. Yeah. Will not break! It, <laughs> it broke! broke. <laughs> <laughs> this is the very rare Dead Sea Tupperware. <laughs> Still good. See, now you know it's weird on the soundtrack. Is it the sound effect? The Yeah. It's not in there. They leave it out. It's just like in Beauty and the Beast, when you're listening yeah. to the Gaston song, none of the gunshots are there. Like, hmm. it doesn't go pow, 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 you right. know, when you're shooting the holes in the barrels? Tooie! <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. In the soundtrack, instead of having, like, all the sound effects, mm. like, yeah, yeah, it's patooey! Ten points for Gaston! Yeah, it's so weird. It's, like, somehow split out. Yeah, but you're right. The, thinking back, listening to the soundtrack, there is that whole part about the, the, Tupperware and the lamp, like all that is on the soundtrack, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, if they're cutting out all of Robin Williams' right. stuff, like. Probably all the stuff that had his name. So mm-hmm. they credited the other guy with this song. Oh, to keep Robin Williams out of it. Or maybe Wikipedia's wrong. It's possible. You know, some Wikipedia writer in there feels the same way that we do. He's like, yeah, obviously that's Robin Williams, writes it in there. But in mm-hmm. fact, it's, you know, some other guy who does a really good imitation of Robin Williams pretending to be Arabic. Bizarre. <laughs> Very strange. I think it's a great intro. Like, I think yeah. he's entertaining. I love the exhausted camel. Like, he gets, <laughs> he walks all the way across the, the, the desert, gets, like, into the city, which is deserted, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, and then he just plop. Yeah, he just flops down. 
And well, and like I don't know. Somehow, like to me as a kid, the the thing where he pours the stardust out of the lamp and then yeah. like throws it into the sky, like it just always like it was such a great caught. transition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, it was like a continuous scene, mm-hmm. which is so hard to do in film. Yeah. So yeah, and it's got very ma- it got like a magical thing mm-hmm. going on. And so. So then uh, he's telling this story about Aladdin. Right, which picks up with Jafar meeting the thief in mm-hmm. the desert. Right. And, and they, the thief has the other part of this... The scarab. Scarab, yeah. Yeah. That then finds the Cave of Wonders. Right. And... Dude, it's a pretty cool scene. Like, it's, it's very exciting. And it's it's got like this real indie like they did a good job of like the Indiana Jones kind of like oh for sure you know yeah it's like it's like faster they're like riding the horse mm. and like chasing this here like Zzz. and then the uh, remember the the thief's name was like Zai Hazim yeah a humble thief <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's right. after the cave says who dare disturbs my slumber dude and what a good voice he's yeah. so. Who dares disturb my slumber? You know, he's like so... Same guy who does Abu. Yeah. That guy rules. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that any human being can do both of those Mm -hmm. voices, I mean, that guy deserves an Academy Award. Right. I'm just saying. It's like uh, Andy Rubin, who played Smeagol. How did he not get an Oscar? Yeah, and watching him do like the the motion tracking Mm -hmm. stuff where he's like Mm -hmm. acting out the... Dude, it's so... He's so dead on. Did you know that he narrates the uh, audiobooks of the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Really? Really. Not the version that I listened to. No, but the new ones that are on Audible. Huh. So you can spend your credits on those next month. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know how I feel about Gollum narrating the... <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't think he uses the Gollum voice for the whole thing. But I'll know it's him. <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. So it's a really cool intro, dude, and it does such a good job of introducing Jafar mm-hmm. and Iago. And, and you know immediately that Jafar is the bad guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. First forty-five seconds of the movie, yeah. you're like, "That's the bad guy right mm-hmm. there." And yeah. dude, Jafar is so good. He's yeah. so good at being bad. He was the first actor they cast in this film. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so a good choice. you mentioned Iago. I despise Gilbert Gottfried. I think he's the most <laughs> annoying human. But what a perfect guy to cast as Iago. Yeah, right. If you're lo- if what you're looking for is annoying bird, like, <laughs> right? boom, you nailed it. That guy is exactly it. Scumps. Scumps. <laughs> Man. Ugh, yeah. <clears throat> Iago is an interesting character in this, you know? I think we'll talk more about Iago as we go on. Mm-hmm. Let, let's continue. Um, one quote I liked from the scene, um, Jafar says to Hazim, uh, trust me, my pungent friend, you'll get what's coming to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Perfect. So Hazim, uh, he approaches the Cave of Wonders, and Cave of Wonders says... Chomp. Well, he says, only one may enter. The bring, bring me the diamond and the rough. Yeah. Right. And, and Hazim's like, uh, really? And he's like, oh, Jafar's yeah, like, yeah, go ahead. You, you got fine. this. You're definitely a diamond in the rough. <laughs> yeah, and then he yeah. gets the chomp. Yep, he gets chomped by a sand cave. So. Maybe one way to go. Uh, then Iago, blah, 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 and they talk. and Yeah, they talk a little bit. And they go back to Agrabah, to probably one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. And songs. Like, this is this is my favorite part of the movie. One jump, man. Yeah, right. I mean, you get introduced to Aladdin. You get introduced to Abu. And the palace guards and, like, how yeah. Aladdin interacts with the city and with the guards and the, like, some people in the city like Aladdin. Yeah, it's, And it's some people point. don't. Yeah, you get you get this, like, sort of mixed picture of people mm-hmm. who are, like, kind of sympathetic to mm-hmm. him. Oh, getting into trouble again already, Aladdin? Yeah. 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 yeah and, and then, and then you know... Really, the one place Aladdin was not liked, not welcomed in that whole uh, chase scene? The harem? The brothel, yeah. (laughs) That's a good thing for him, you know? Yep. So, the uh, 
really like the song, you know, one jump ahead of the bread line. Yeah. yeah one swing it, ahead of the sword. And it's so well choreographed with the, oh, with the work. Perfect. You know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, it, it has this really cool thing that you can do with animation where, like, you know, they're, like, saying the words mm-hmm. and they have action. Mm-hmm. And it's very mobile and it's very fast. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like when a, a boo pulls the sword out of the sword swallower <laughs> and he's swinging it at the guards. Dude, I said that today. It's like, ah, he's got a sword! <laughs> you fools, we've all got swords! <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great scene. That is a great scene. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, then they when they fall out of the window, the... Dude, there, yeah, there's that little, like, this um, pre-carpet thing. You yeah. Know, like, he grabs the carpet mm-hmm. and kind of, like, glides a little bit right. out of the way. And all the guards fall, like, you know, four stories into this fertilizer. Uh, I, I wrote it down. It says, <laughs> Crazy Hakeem's Discount Fertilizer. And it reminded me of Biff Tannen wrecking into the fertilizer and Back to the Future. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the clothespin on his nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, classic cartoon Trump. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many good physical humor bits in this scene. Uh, you know, like the fish, like the guy losing his pants and putting on the fish. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> the the hot coals, the the climbing the magic rope thing. Yeah, yeah. There's all these stereotypes yeah. of like you know, yeah, Middle Eastern marketplace right. stuff. The guy but, on the bed, net of be, uh, bed of nails. Right. But they do it in such a, a a humorous way that's just. It's fun for the audience, right? And, mm-hmm. like, you kind of, like, see all these things and, like, themes that, yeah, are stereotypical. But, but like, they happen really fast, and you kind of get the setting, the feel of the movie. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know you know who Aladdin is, how he operates in this world. It, all and it's understand. kind of a familiar character. So, like, by the time you get mm-hmm. done, it's like, yeah, I know who we're dealing with here. right? And like I like the, this guy. Yeah, yeah, he's the, he's the sort of, you know. Diamond in the rough. Yeah, like a Han Solo, like a noble mm. scoundrel, you know, like he's... Scoundrel. <laughs> I like the sound of that. <laughs> Scumps. Scumps. That's right, so, and then, you know, it concludes, and it's, you know, and they mm-hmm. just go they just go ahead and set that in stone when he breaks the bread, mm-hmm. he's sitting there and he's about to eat it, and he sees these two little orphan kids. Yeah. And he gives his hard-earned food. To the street orphans. Mm-hmm. And what I find really striking here is Abu, his loyal servant, right? He'll do anything for Aladdin. But his goals are often at odds with Aladdin's. And you see it here very early on. Yeah. Abu is not at all cool. Not interested in giving the yeah. bread to the kids. Yeah. yeah. That's not his bag. Right. But he follows Aladdin's leadership and, and grudgingly gives it up. Man, now that's an interesting compare and contrast. Aladdin and Abu, Han Solo and Chewie. Yeah, but but Chewie's more virtuous early on. I that's think. well, that that's, yeah. that's exactly yeah. one of the contrasts. Chewie is also bigger than Han Solo, whereas yeah. Abu is smaller than Aladdin. Interessante. Yeah, I think you could do a whole episode on that. Hot sidekicks. I like it. Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, he gives away the bread. And it and it does. It has this perfect moment. I mean, these these kids are like you know, wet eyed, you know, mm-hmm. like stuffed animal kids. You know, it's like heartthrob. Aladdin really is good. You know, like because there's at the beginning especially there's an opportunity for you to be like, hey man, like stealing is not cool. Yeah. Like, don't be doing that. But, I only but he, steal what I can't afford, and which that's is everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, like he addresses it right there. Yeah. Uh, but you know it. It also brings up this classical uh, ethical question. Is it right. okay for a man to steal bread to feed his family? Right. Or just his own self. Mm-hmm. Or his own self. Yeah, right. Classical ethical question. Let's not get bogged down in that. Yeah. Let's, so let's, then he hears the parade on the street, um, and the kid runs out there to get in there. And he almost gets run over by the horse in this... Suitor. Pompous Prince. Pompous yeah. Prince. That's a good way to put yeah. it. Uh, he pulls out his whip to teach this kid a lesson. Yeah. And Aladdin, you know, kind of Indiana Jones style, right? He catches the whip on his wrist and mm-hmm. pulls it away. And uh, and he says... Giving him some lip. Yeah. Giving him Telling some lip. Him, you know, you ought to have better manners or something right. like that. And he, he, you know, tosses the whip back up to the guy. And the, um, 
Yeah, and then the guy says something to Aladdin. And kicks back. him, I think. Yeah, but, uh, but then Aladdin, I love this line. He, he, he looks at him and he says, he says, look at that, Abu. It's not every day you see a horse with two rear ends. You know, this joke, I felt like like it walks right up to the edge of, of yeah. like the as inappropriate as humor can get in a Disney movie and you still get away with it. You know, it's like, because, well, I won't say, everybody knows what he ought to have said. <laughs> no, I'll say as a kid I didn't, right? Like I, I would hear him say that and I'd have to think about it. Like, a horse has two rear ends. What's the other one? Oh, it's it's the guy. <laughs> the guy is a horse's butt. Huh. Yeah. Huh. I guess that means he's mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as an adult, like, ah, nice one, Aladdin. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, I thought, I, so I observed this at the, when I watched it the last time, this guy does something that, um, in most arguments, it's like, you should expect it not to be very effective, but it slices Aladdin right to the core. Is he just... He just says the fact. He says, like, you're nothing, and you'll never be anything. You're a street rat. You were you were born a street rat. You will die a street rat, and only your fleas will mourn you. Yeah, I mean, like, man. It's like, you know, on one hand, like, I think in a normal argument, you would expect someone to be able to deal with the reality of their life. But, mm-hmm. man, it, yeah, totally thrashes, hates that. Yeah. He... Right, well, this leads to his next song, right? right. Riff Raff, Street Rat. I don't buy that. Only they'd look closer. Dude, and I mean, like, I, lo- I love that little riff. Like, mm-hmm. I sing it out loud all the time. It's, um, it's really very touching. Yeah. It, it definitely pulls you a little bit closer to a Latin, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just being cool and a little bit virtuous... He's now vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, it gives you empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can see that, like, he wants something more. You know, he, he sees the problem, but he just doesn't know what to do with it. You know? Yeah, it's very strong. So now we go to the palace, right? Yeah, that's right. In the, in the suitor. <laughs> <laughs> we see that uh, horse's rear end... Uh, you know, and it's polka dot undershorts. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, so he storms out saying, good luck marrying her off. Yeah. And the sultan goes to see Jasmine. And uh, and Raja the tiger has a, a bit of clothing. Trouser. <laughs> Trouser. <laughs> Trouser bits hanging from his mouth. So, interesting thought. Where do tigers come from? India? That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Siberia? Like Southeast Asia? Yeah. Um. So, not the desert, right? I don't think so. You know, lions are kind of like semi-desert creatures, right? Yeah, I think they're like um, savannah. Yeah, Serengeti. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Hmm. Anyway, so the fact that she's got a tiger as a pet is like a pretty big sign of opulence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because it's not like they went and caught one, you know, outside. I mean, <clears throat> that's true. I think anybody who has a flowing water fountain in the middle of a desert, okay, seriously opulent. That's Maybe true. it's not as obvious. I mean, they do it in Las Vegas, but that's something else I thought of. Uh, they're also destroying the aquifer that way, so you know, just saying. <laughs> so that's something else I thought about. Uh, it's like, what powered the fountain? Gravity. So there's a water tower somewhere. Hmm. Certainly, yeah. It's the old-fashioned way to generate pressure in a hydraulic system. I mean, it's still how we generate pressure, right? We just pump it up there instead of having, you know, people carry it in buckets and dump it in the top. Okay. Think about all the people that were carrying buckets and dumping it in the top to make her fountain fly. Well, Opulent. I mean, they had to work somewhere. <laughs> <clears throat> Let's not talk about the means of production right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> we, we must not indulge all of our tangents. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great introduction to Jasmine. You know, it, it sort of gives her this, like, um, you know, she starts out being, like, a little bit coy, like, oh, well, Raja was just playing. <laughs> right. You know, and, um, you know, kind of give, it, yeah, it portrays her as this, like, rebellious. Um, but also empathetic, right? She, uh... yeah, they do a good job of, of bringing in right away, like, you know, that she feels dissatisfied with um, this position she's in. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah, they right away are introducing this idea that she wants to marry for love. Um, but she's being forced into a marriage to a prince in the next three days. Right. Well, I mean, yeah. Who knows how much time she's already had. Right. But you know. from today, it's three days away. Right. And she's there's got three no days left prospects today. that mm-hmm. are appealing. Yeah, which is a tough position to be in. Yeah, yeah I thought the, um, you know, there's a... Uh, one of the things that's going on during the scene is she goes and gets this bird. They've got a big cage mm-hmm. with all the little songbirds. And she pulls this bird out and she, while she's talking about, you know, desiring to have, you know, this kind of autonomy. Freedom. She's never left the palace walls. Right. And during that conversation, when her father replies, he takes the bird and puts it back in the cage. Yes, I noticed this too. Yeah, it's like a, it's a very nice little, um, like, background action that's helping mm-hmm. to, you know, illustrate the, the overall arc. And then what does she do? Opens up the oh, that's doors, right at the end. and they yeah, all fly away. All yeah. And I remember as a child thinking, well, that was kind of dumb. She doesn't have birds anymore. <laughs> but, it, yeah. yeah, it's very symbolic of, of what she's feeling. Right. But Yeah, now she doesn't have any birds. And as an adult, you think to yourself, like, you know, all of those uh, songbirds are probably going to go in the desert and die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're, we're just calling a spade a spade here, right? Like... They've been raised in captivity. They're probably not, not in native. the Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, there's nothing to eat mm-hmm. here. So, yeah, they're, um, you know, if they're lucky, maybe they'll be caught and turned into, you know, tiny little, um, you know, meals for uh, the locals. That'd be probably the best outcome. Or the local there. predatory birds. Yeah, true. Or Raja. I bet that Raja doesn't eat little birds. Hmm. We must not indulge all of our tans. <laughs> Well, listeners, this concludes part one of a few episodes on Aladdin. Join us next time as we continue to indulge our tangents against our better judgment.